Father, I hide in your hand and trust in you and submit to you this morning. Fill us all with your Holy Spirit. Let your Spirit come upon all of your people. That all of God's people may prophesy, as Moses said. That we would behold your face. And as we look into your word, we would behold your character and your person and your heart. Speak to us from your word. Open our hearts to what you want to say. In Jesus' name. A uh, couple things that I want to say before I begin this morning. First of all is, um, is I am very thankful for how the church has cared for one another um, these past few months. Um, I have been probably the busiest I've ever been, uh, arguably, because of fixing up this house. And I've, I've kind of, we had kind of set our own pace or timeline, whether that was wise or not. Um, it has obviously taken much more uh, than I anticipated, um, which is generally the case, I hear, for fixing up homes. Uh, but in my absence, I really have preached a lot. I have not pastored as well in this season, and I feel that. I feel my lack in shepherding a flock. And, um, but I've seen you guys care for one another and love one another, and I've been thankful for that. And so please forgive me in my lack. Um, I know it. And I sense that, and I've asked the Lord, and I've prayed often uh, for you as I've been working. And so thank you, and hang in there and pray for me. Uh, we're almost at a checkpoint here, um, God willing, in the next few weeks. And then a few weeks after that, we'll have a baby in that house. And so you can continue to pray for me. Um, but know that my heart is with you, even though I haven't been with you. Um, as I've wanted to. So please forgive me. Um, and thank you for shepherding and caring for one another. That's what we need. Um, as, uh, as I, and I've been actually preaching shorter lately, the past six months. Normally I preach about 45 minutes. So for some of you that think I preach 30 minutes, it's not true. I preach 45. But um, I've been preaching 30, you lucky ducks. For a little while, and uh, part of it is because of how much time I get in the text. I don't get as much time, or I don't take as much time as I have in the past, and, and so maybe that's a better thing. I don't know. <laughs> Biting on smaller sections, but um, so I keep coming to these psalms, and I say, man, this is awesome. This is wonderful. I feel like I'm just glazing the surface of this. We could go so much deeper, and that's a good thing, I think. Um, and that's how I feel about Psalm 37. I feel like God is answering a prayer of mine through this psalm. And one of my prayers, as I watch our world, and uh, as I watch the way we're going, not just as a nation, but as a globe, um, I say, Lord, what do we do? Um, it's like there's this impulse to act that I feel. And, um, and I know to pray... And actually, that's often my first prompt, is to pray. Um, I read a, I've been reading an author who has written a book on Revelation, and he made an interesting suggestion I've never heard before. His suggestion is, when you think about the end times, or the condition that the world is in, in relation to the end times, pray the Lord's Prayer. 
pray the Lord's Prayer. And he has this theory that the Lord's Prayer uh, matches or addresses certain elements of, of things that are predicted in the end times. Um, the, your kingdom come, hallowed be your name, Lord, that God's name would be honored as holy, um, even when other names arise and when other claim to be the Christ, that God's name would be hallowed as holy, that his kingdom would come and that his will would be done when kingdom rises against kingdom and nation against nation. Um, um, that he would give us this day our daily bread in times of physical hardship, in times of famine, in times of um, great natural disaster, um, that he would, uh, that we would, that he'd forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us as the church goes through persecution and great persecution in the end times um, and throughout the ages, um, that he'd lead us not to temptation but deliver us from evil when they, many will be tempted to devote their allegiance to a man who they will believe to be a savior who is not, and um, that the Lord will guard us from temptation and deliver us from evil and, and, uh, and in honoring him with glory, praise, and honor. Uh, I thought that was so unique, and I thought it was practical. That's a way that we can respond to the things that we see around us is pray the Lord's Prayer, that God would hallow his name, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. And as politics um, kind of fluctuates, and as we see just the amping up that is constantly is happening through politics and politicians and the media, always trying to amp things up, we can remember that this kingdom is not our home, that this land is not my patria, my father country. I have another land that is mine. Um, I have an inheritance that is not here. And I'm going to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. That reminds me of his kingdom and of his kingdom that rules in the hearts of men. And so we could go on. I may revisit that sometime because I thought it was a, a great idea. Whether his theory is correct about whether it actually parallels the seals of revelation or not, I don't know. Um, I think it's a good application. But I do pray that. Lord, how do we respond to these days? How do we respond to some of the scary things that we see? Um, the war in Ukraine, or war happening again. You know, when that war happened, the first scripture in my heart um, was, do not be afraid, for these things must take place. This is what Jesus said. Don't fear, for these things must take place. But the end is not yet, is what he said. And... Um, but I read, you know, you read about the seals of Revelation and you notice that right after it talks about a conquering war, it talks about inflation. It talks about disease. Uh, it talks about inflation rising. The inflation that we're seeing right now has, can't hold a candle to what I read in Revelation. All right? I don't think we're there. <laughs> I don't think we're seeing what I read when it costs a day's wages to buy a day's worth of bread for one person, then we've hit uh, that what that seal describes. 8% inflation doesn't compare to that. And yet we still see inflation. And I hear about um, financial hardships, not just that are already here, but that are coming. Um, you look at the gas price going up and what the food prices go up will follow. 
food prices will go up the fall. Um, and um, you hear about things like the Great Reset. How many of you have heard about that? The Great Reset. Uh, man, strange things afoot, let me tell you, uh, in the world stage, the countries of the world gathering and, and talking through reworking the economies of the world into one system. Um, now, wherever heard something like that before, you know, uh, you look at these things and it reminds me again, why the nations rage and the peoples of the earth plot in vain against the Lord and against his anointed. Whether we are close to Christ's return or not, whether we're close or not, there's a lot of evil things afoot. And we look at the politics of our own nation and the division, the great division in our own nation. And boy, have you been ever vexed or frustrated when you think about the state of our nation. Uh, there can be a temptation when we see wrong things and corruption around the world to be angry, to be vexed, to be upset, and to be worried. All of those things might come together, or maybe in different forms. Um, fear is a strong one, and I, I find that I have a hard time talking about these things with people because they get afraid. Um, and maybe it's not always best to dwell on them. But our heart may respond with anger and fear. How do we handle these things, Lord? What do we do? I think Psalm 37 touches on what we ought to do and what the Lord, how the Lord wants us to think and what he wants us to think about. And uh, I've just been delighted with this. I'm only going to catch about 11 verses today. Uh, I feel like I see an answer, a partial answer at least, from God in Psalm 37. And the main, the main idea is fret not for evil, but feed on the Lord. Fret not for evil, but feed on the Lord. All right? And so uh, begin with me in verse 1. This is written by David. Also, fun fact, it is a poem that is arranged as an acrostic. An acrostic is uh, where you begin with A, and you did this in school, where you wrote a poem where you start with A, and then you start with B, and you start with C. You don't see that here, but it was written in Hebrew. So the Hebrew um, would have this, um, which each, each stanza begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is kind of fun. But let's begin uh, with fret not. Words from David as he prays. Fret not yourself because of the evildoers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Now, that word fret, it shows up at least three times on my first page. Fret not. It shows up again in verse 7. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in this way. Verse 8. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. It's interesting. It begins by saying, don't fret about evildoers. And then it finishes, just don't fret. It just tends to evil. Now, when I think of the word fret, what do you think of when you hear the word fret? Worry. worry. I think of worry, generally. But what other versions do you have of that word in your text? Does anybody have another word other than fret in their Bible? Huh? Anybody got another word? Yeah. 
Envy. Yeah, actually. Um, envy not. Yep, absolutely. That, there is a tone of jealousy in, in this, the Hebrew word here. Yes? Stress. Stress not. Okay, that's actually also capturing the emphasis of this word. Stress not. I like that. Stress not. Ooh, I, I, can, I can live with that one. Stress not. Uh, anybody else? Let me see. Yeah, fret can mean to rub. It's got a number of meanings. Um, now, um, let me see if I can... I'm sorry, my notes are just a little scattered this morning. To fret in the Hebrew literally means to kindle or to grow warm or to become angry, to become heated in vexation, to kindle wrath. Okay, the Greek means to provoke to jealousy, rivalry, or anger, all right? Where you're getting provoked to the point that you're even maybe even jealous or envious or angry. It's to be riled up by. It's to be somebody's getting under your skin. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Don't let them get under your skin. Don't let them rile you up. Don't let that distract you. Don't become envious or provoke. And notice that's the next verse. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Why would we be jealous? And actually the Greek word is um, parazelao, to, to be jealous alongside of. Uh, this, this idea of being provoked to jealousy. Why would we be jealous of evildoers or wrongdoers? Because they sometimes get their way. You watch the politics in the world, or you watch the globe, or you watch this world economic forum, and you're like, are they getting away with this? You think you can, everybody can not own anything and give all the power to them and all this sort of stuff? And, you know, it's like this grand scheme, and you're like, no way. No, they are not doing this. They're not going to get away. Are they getting away with it? Like, I can't believe this. I mean, I say that all, I've said that all the time in the past two years, haven't you? I can't believe this. <laughs> but sometimes they succeed. You know, there's people that have grown far richer because of COVID. 2020. There are those who have prospered because of evil. You know, I think David in another psalm said the same thing. Why do the wicked prosper? take you off. <laughs> and I'm sitting here having to plow through. I'm sitting here having to work through it, you know? And I'm sure many of you are thinking of politics and you're thinking of your opposing party. Why do they always seem to get away with this or with that? Um, fret not yourself because of evil doers. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. Now, the, the next verse begins with the word for. The word for means it's to explain something. It's to, to an explanatory note. Why? It's answering why you shouldn't fret. They will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. You see, um, you ever see that tomato plant that you planted that's just not, you know, got to water it one day, or maybe your house plant and just missed it one day, and next day it is just shriveled up and done. It's happened to me a couple times. Um, actually, I've come back from vacation a couple times to uh, plants that were shriveled up and thought, missed it. 
for God. I had plants. I shouldn't have a dog or a pet. Um, the wicked are like that. The wicked are like that. In God's eyes, he sees them like plants or like a weed. That one day is just going to dry up. And Jesus even uses the analogy of grass to talk about it's here today and tomorrow it's thrown into the fire. Or it's here today and tomorrow it's in the uh, long pile that you mowed, you know. Um, the wicked are like that. It imposes that the wicked have a time where they will be cut off. They will be, their days are short, you know. And think about it. Jesus said, you, it's here today and the grass is thrown into the what? In the furnace. There's a place where the wicked will burn forever. And when you look in light of that, their prospering doesn't seem to be so prosperous in light of eternal things. And God's always calling us to have this eternal gaze, to look farther ahead than just this temporal moment where maybe somebody's prospering or some business got away with something they shouldn't or some political action was excused or whatever. Fret not yourself. Don't let that tie you up. And I think politics, it can be easy to be tied up and, and to be so loyal to my party that I am so against the opposing party. They are the enemy, right? And maybe miss the real enemy in Satan's work. Um, I voted Republican last, um, last voting cycle. And, um, and I'm not committed necessarily to always vote Republican. Um, because I see corruption in both parties, and I just saw a, an article that Fox News featured a story uh, of a transgender boy raised by a family, and they were portraying it as if this is a, a good and healthy thing by Fox News. By Fox News. And, when I, and Fox News is often seen as more conservative. Um, but I get these reminders all the time. You know what? If they're not in Christ... You know, they're also among the wicked. Maybe there are values or policies that I might value more in one party than another. But uh, that's not my kingdom. This is not my kingdom, right? We belong to a different kingdom. Although we are citizens here, and we ought to use our citizenship to better our country. Um, but this, I'm, I'm reminded to that evildoers seem to be even on both sides of that or that spectrum. What are we to do instead? Um, the next few verses up to verse 7 and more tell us what we should do instead of fretting and focusing on all of the evil. And I see here an opportunity for repentance for me. Lord, I have gotten all up in a bunch about this situation or this issue. And maybe it makes me rightly angry, but it has distracted me, God, from you. It has distracted me from looking at you. That relationship or that, that wrong that was done to me has distracted me from you. Know, forgive me, Lord. An opportunity to repent, to fret not. But rather, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Rather than fretting and being stirred and riled up and provoked by evil, we ought to rather trust in God and do good. 
And it, it even says, dwell in the land. And mine says, befriend faithfulness. What does your version say of that last part of verse 3? Enjoy safe pasture. Ooh, I like that. Enjoy safe pasture. There's actually a number of translations of that phrase. And uh, I do want to touch on a couple of them. Um, but this idea of pasturing, dwelling in the land and feeding um, or enjoying pasture is one element of that verse. What else do you have? Last part of verse 3. Dwell in his land and feed on his faithfulness. Oh, I love that. Feed on his faithfulness. Feed on God's faithfulness. Boy, do I need to hear that when I see the evil in the world where God wants me to trust in him, do good, dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. And it's interesting, it doesn't say get out of Dodge from the land. It says dwell in the land. Um, bug out to the mountains right here. It says dwell in the land. Um, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Feed on his faithfulness. Enjoy his faithfulness. And there is also a future tense to this I've seen in some translations. King James, how's the King James says it? Thou shalt be fed. Thou shalt be fed. When you trust in the Lord and do good, you shall be fed in the land. There's a future aspect or a future promise of this. How do I respond when evildoers prosper? I'm to turn my eyes to the Lord and do what is right and do what is good. Maybe I can't change the politics of my nation. Maybe I can't stop the great reset. But I can trust in God and do good. I can trust in the Lord in turbulent days that the Lord cares for me, that he cares for his people, and I can do what is right here and now. Do what is good. Beloved, do what is good to your church. Do what is good in your life. Continue to do what is right, even if evildoers around you seem to get away with that. Do what is right. Dwell on the land seems to really kind of the sense of being content and to embrace where you are. Um, I think about when God's people, the Israelites, went were taken into exile into foreign nations. And because they were going to be there a while, uh, they're instructed, dwell in the land. Seek the benefit of the city that you live in. Plant gardens. Plant vineyards. Um, to, to, to plop a squat. Um, and I think the phrase that I might use is bloom where you are planted. Bloom where you are planted. Um, embrace what God has given you and cultivate, uh, the NASB says it like this, cultivate faithfulness. You do what is right and you cultivate being faithful. And not only cultivating faithfulness, feed on his faithfulness. Um, I like how one version put it, feed by faith. Be feed by faith. Lord, but I don't know what, what food prices are going to look like this far down the road or this or that, but I'm going to feed by faith. And I'm going to trust that you are faithful and that you will be faithful to me. And I'm going to feed on your faithfulness. And you know, really, we can feed on the Lord. I think there 
there's that aspect of it as well, feeding on God and enjoying the goodness of God, even in turbulent times. It's amazing that I can't always sort out with my mind how in trying times we can always know or experience the goodness of God. I think it comes out in different forms or aspects of God's faithfulness to us, um, everywhere from our sin and the cross to even physical provision and care. Um, but we know that God is good and we may feed on him. And I think the next verse kind of leads us deeper into that idea. Verse four, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. I really felt like in our worship set this morning in our music time, that was the message I kept coming, hearing back from God to me is focus on me. You find your life and your fulfillment in me. I am the good that you need. I am the fountain of living water. And I will refresh and satisfy your soul. This week I had a hard week of not eating well, not feeding myself well, not sleeping um, great, um, maybe overworked and just losing steam. That was definitely this week. Uh, losing steam as I'm going to work. And I know a part of it is, um, is the need for my soul to feed on God. Because when I feed on God, other things in my life tend to order right themselves. When I get off track and I start uh, feeding my flesh, the Bible says that leads to death. But as I turn to and I reset and trust in Christ and find my focus in Him, um, and seek Him first. Uh, I'm strengthened in my work to accomplish my work. I'm strengthened to love my family well. I'm strengthened in these other areas, but my focus, I think, was off, and I felt the Lord kept tugging me back to Him, delighting in Him. Delight yourself in the Lord. And this is a neat promise, man. Uh, every, uh, every engaged couple likes to quote this verse. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Um, now, is that a code or is that a formula for me? If I make sure I delight, then maybe the Lord will get me that really shiny car I've been wanting um, or this or that. Um, there's a beautiful aspect to this, I think. When we delight in the Lord, our hearts are rightly positioned to Him. When we delight in God, our hearts are rightly positioned in Him. And, and I think our desires often are, are more true or aligned to His. And what He wants, we want. And we find that we're satisfied and that God gives us the desire of our hearts. I think God knows what we desire more than we do or what we need, you could say, more than what we might even know. And the fulfillment of those things will be found when you choose God first or when you choose God foremost above that thing, that desire, that thing that presses you and pushes you that makes you angsty, that you feel like you need. If it's not God, that's step one. And as you kind of set that thing aside and bring that before the altar of God and say, Lord, this is what I've been longing for, or this is what, maybe it's a legitimate thing. Maybe it's a legitimate desire. You can lay that back on the altar and look at God and delight in the Lord. And oftentimes, not always, the Lord may even give that thing back to you. Or bring it back to you in the way that was right, in the way that is pleasing and honoring to Him. 
in his way and in his time. A lot of testimony in my family's lives over this verse. My, uh, my mother, when we talk about discerning the will of God, she'll talk about the desire of your heart. And, um, and I think I was, grow up, I was brought up with this idea of recognizing that there can be a desire in you that might be from God. A desire that's legitimate, that maybe God has placed within you, that, that may be something special or something specific. That desire can only position rightly when we delight in God first, and when we seek God foremost. And as we are satisfied in Him, I think oftentimes the Lord gives us that desire as well, alongside. You know, it's funny, the Bible says that God gave up His Son for us, will He not also with Him give us all things? All of those things are nothing compared to Jesus, and yet God gives them anyway, because He is just generous like that, and He is kind like that. And I think that actually prepares the way for some of this psalm. Um, there's some more commands to us. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord. And then verse 5. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Beloved, that is your politi political activism today. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. Notice it doesn't say, it, fret not yourself over evil doers. Right now in the news, they're talking about the uh, Capitol uh, riots coming up in quite a timely fashion, if I might say so. Um, and uh, what, what you do see in those January 6 riots, when, all, when that crowd got riled up and fretted, really. And they riled up and anger was kindled to storm the capital. What were they going to do? What was going to be accomplished? You know, that kind of political activism, taking matters into your own hands. Actually, there was a man that was trying to kill a, uh, he was claiming to want to kill Judge Kavanaugh this week as well. Taking matters into your own hands because you're fretting or vexed. Maybe we all do this in smaller ways, hopefully. Oh. <laughs> but there's that temptation to just make things right. I'm going to do it myself. But here it says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. And he will act. And what will God do? He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noon day. Okay. What does it mean to commit my way to the Lord? I think the picture that I get is... The way that you're walking in, you basically are handing that into God's hands. Lord, the way that I'm living, the way that I'm walking in, you know. And I want to hand this over to you. The plans that you have in your heart, handing them over to God and submitting them and surrendering them to God and trusting in Him. And He decides to change his, the plans, okay. And as you do that, it says He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Maybe you long for justice or you've been accused wrongly. Maybe you were in the right. Maybe you were innocent in this matter or that, but it hasn't been portrayed that way. It hasn't been seen that way. Or as Christians, we trust in Christ. There may be a day in the U.S. where we're persecuted for trusting in Christ, for claiming that Jesus is Lord. 
We might be right, though they condemn us as wrong. We must trust in the Lord and let Him act on our behalf. There's many times where the Lord might even deliver someone that has been unjustly framed or accused because of whatever reason. I just saw a story. Oh, I can't summarize it well. A woman took her daughter and fled the country for 20 years because they wanted to force her child to do something that she didn't want them to do. It was a wrong thing. It was quite political. Um, I don't know if it was like transgender treatments or something like that. And so she just got acquitted. She was just declared innocent. 20 years. And her righteousness was brought out as the light. Her justice as the noonday. That happens. That does happen. But I tell you how many times I read the news that in Nigeria or in India or in some other country, a Christian has been condemned wrongly. And now they're in prison for it. You put up a Facebook post and you honor Christ. And now you're in jail. Condemned wrongly. There is a day when the wicked will be cut off like the grass. And on that day, it's a day of judgment. And on that day, those who trust in the Lord to act on their behalf, their righteousness will be brought forward as the light. Their justice will be brought forward as the noonday. That may be here. That may not be. It may be on the last day when your righteousness and justice is brought forth on your behalf on that day. But notice that action, trusting in the Lord and letting Him act. And it even gets even more, I don't want to say the word passive, I don't think it's passive, but maybe restful even than that. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Be still before the Lord. And wait, wait patiently for him. How easy is that to do when the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? When the earth gives way and the mountains be thrown into the sea. And there in that psalm, it says the same thing. Be still and know that he is God. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in all the earth. This is so counterintuitive in a lot of ways. And really, it's this calming and quieting of our soul before God, knowing that God's in control, that God has it, and God's going to take care of it. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And then verse 8, refrain from anger, forsake wrath. It's all the same idea of fretting not. Don't, don't be kindled. Don't let that get under your skin. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. It tends only to evil. Now, Scripture says, be angry and what? Sin not. Do not sin. But it also says, don't let the sun do what? Go down on your anger. There's a time to be angry. There's a time to be angry. And I think in our anger, we must look to God. And we must commit our way to Him. And trust in him to act and deal with that anger rightly so that it doesn't, Satan doesn't get a foothold in our hearts and I end up fretting. <laughs> I end up becoming vexed and upset and angry and it just falls into this cycle. You know what I'm talking about? 
And again, as it says, fret not, refrain from anger and wrath, fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Verse 9, another explanation, same thing. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. That's interesting. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So this picture of evildoers being taken away, but those who are meek, who trust in the Lord, they're going to receive or inherit the land. Or you could say, even say the earth. Have you heard that phrase before, inherit the land? Where have you heard that idea before? Yes, Beatitudes. And well, actually, I'm going to come to it because he gets even closer here in the next couple of verses. Verse 10. And just a little while, so he's, he keeps restating, and I think part of that's part of the Hebrew poem, is often you restate the same thing in different forms and, and kind of keeping with this alphabetic acrostic. And just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Yes, Jesus quote. I think Jesus is quoting this verse when he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Jesus, in talking through and beginning his Sermon on the Mount, shares this verse, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth and delight themselves in abundant peace. There will be a day of peace and a day where there will be abundant peace. And it's so counterintuitive that what the idea of meekness is the gentle, the gentle. Those that have refrained from anger or forsook wrath, that fret not. That's counterintuitive. I watch the left and the right in politics, and sometimes I feel like I'm seeing the same spirit. And now I'm not saying that there aren't legitimate values that are being fought for. I think there are. But sometimes I, I, I watch one side fight one way, and then I watch the other copy the same spirit and fighting fire with fire. And I just think that's not, that's not how a Christian reacts. Fret not over the evildoer. just not natural in my, my flesh to respond that way. And I think there's a tempering in that. Did Jesus ever get angry? Yeah, he did. He did. And so we do see there's a time to get angry or to respond to injustice or to call out wickedness or hypocrisy. You know, as John the Baptist did. There's a time for that. I think, I, I, I wonder if the the sense of this is different than that, like a righteous um, and bold anger that responds and calls out injustice versus this riled up, fretting, vexation, fleshly response to evil. And David continues to turn his gaze to God in the midst of that. And those who wait for the Lord 
shall inherit the land. That phrase, inherit the land, it shows up more over and over again. Verse 9 shows up in verse 11. It shows up, and 18 is kind of a similar idea. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. Verse 22, those who bless by the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 29, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. As I see this, what we're realizing is evil... As evil prospers, there will be a day that God will judge the wicked and he will affirm or quit the righteous, his own. He'll declare them innocent. And uh, when I hear the word inherit, sometimes the word inherit implies a death. Somebody's got to die oftentimes that we might inherit the land and, um, or to inherit, to have a heritance. I wonder, I don't know if, if it's the death that inaugurates that, that after death there's an inheritance. But for you and I in Christ, the Bible says that we have an inheritance. It's an inheritance in the Lord. It's a spiritual inheritance in Christ. The Bible says there's a day where you and I will reign with Christ. As kings and queens and priests. And Revelation says it will be on the earth. On the earth. And uh, one of the, probably one of the interesting pictures of this inheriting, and I think this even implies a resurrection, that there will be a day when the wicked will be cut off, when we'll die, and God will bring and resurrect the dead, and the righteous, those who are innocent or have been declared innocent through the blood of Jesus, will have an inheritance. And I think that's when the Lord the Lord gives us an inheritance, the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. How many of you know of the passage of the dry bones? The dry bones. I want to just, I know this is kind of a long section, but I think this is an illustration that I want to finish with uh, today. I'm reading to you the section of dry bones. And this is very raw. I've not processed this much, and so I'm going to throw you the raw meat for you to chew on later. Um, and to maybe continue, and we might develop more of this next week. But listen to this passage. The hand of the Lord was upon me. This is Ezekiel, uh, one of the Old Testament prophets, and he's looking out over a valley, and uh, this is during the time of Israel being punished for their sin and being exiled out of their country. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O oh, Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord, that says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, behold, there were sinews on them. 
and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds of breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. And then you will know that I am the Lord, and I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. So I, I was reminded of this passage because of, uh, you know, dwell in the land, cultivate faithfulness, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, this picture of resurrection, the wicked being cut off, the dead, God raises the dead and says, I will bring you into your own land. This picture of resurrection and inheritance, really. This is connected to the Jews, the Jewish people. Now, there's different interpretations of the passage, whether this is speaking about a spiritual conversion of Israel. Uh, I don't know it well enough to be able to tell you. Um, but I see that picture of resurrection and inheritance. I'm going to keep reading because it gets interesting. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah and the people of Israel associated with it. And then take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim and all the house of Israel associated with it. And join them one to another into one stick that they may become one in your hand. And when your people say to you, Will you not tell us what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am about to take the stick of Joseph, that is the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel associated with them, and I will join with it the stick of Judah and make them one stick. Sorry, hang in there, I'm almost done. Uh, when the sticks on which you write are in your hand before their eyes, then say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land, on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all, and they shall be no longer two nations, and no longer divided into kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore with idols and their detestable things or with any other transgression. But I will save them from all their backsliding, which they have sinned, and will cleanse them. And they shall be my people, and I'll be their God. My servant David shall be king over them. And they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived. And they and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them. And will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. 
My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. So, that's the raw meat. <laughs> but this picture, again, of, the res of resurrection and dwelling in the land and the Lord being in the midst of his people. This reminds me very much of Revelation. And if you look on, the prophecy of Gog and Magog is in the next section, also mentioned in Revelation chapter 20. Um, what am I saying by all this? When all is said and done, everything that we see will be done away with. And though we may be given up to the sword, though we may suffer because of evil, through Christ, God is going to raise the dead. And he will place us on the earth. And we will dwell with our God on the earth. Therefore, beloved, fret not, but delight yourself and feed on the Lord. Thanks for bearing with me. Uh, Lord, bless our people. Steady our hearts. Give them peace. And give us a longer gaze than just the temporal and help us to focus on the eternal. Lord, we pray your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.